Schokolade. Chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. Hey, chocolate lovers. So four or five times a year, there are two weeks in a row with no new episodes. So during those opportunities, I'll be sharing a full-length interview done for a previous episode. In this case, that episode was the internet. So that topic had a major impact upon the questions I asked. This week's guest is Pam Williams. Pam is the founder and lead instructor of Ecole Chocolat as well as co-author of the book Raising the Bar. I found Pam's story to be incredibly interesting and inspiring and not always completely about chocolate. And I hope you find it interesting and inspiring as well. Hi, I'm Pam Williams. I'm the lead instructor and founder of Ecole Chocolat Professional School of Chocolate Arts. Since 2003, which I can't believe is like 16 years ago coming up in January, we've been uh, teaching chocolate-only courses. Uh, We teach them from a business perspective as well as technique. We try to give our students everything they need to know about working with chocolate, about the chocolate industry, about production, how to be really efficient, how to make fabulous, wonderful things. We do a lot of recipe development. We do a lot of tasting in every one of our programs because my feeling is if you don't know how to taste chocolate, you can't make chocolate. Agreed. Do you have any chocolate or cacao pet peeves? Oh, pet peeves. Um, I think my my one of my biggest things that I spend a lot of time telling people about is they assume that because a bar says it's 85% as opposed to 65% cocoa, that it must be better. And really, your cocoa percentage only tells you the sweetness level of the chocolate that you're buying. And it doesn't have anything to do with the actual quality and flavor of the cocoa beets themselves. So one of the most important things people can do is to taste chocolate. You know, buy a bar. It's not like you're having to buy like a $20 bottle of wine to be able to taste whether you like the flavor or not. With chocolate bars, it's a very affordable way to get to know what kind of flavors and which chocolate makers a bar might be you like the best. You know, what's interesting is that every single person I've asked so far, maybe 10 times, has had a different answer. Oh, absolutely. I know, because we all come to chocolate from a, a different perspective. And also with with different reasons why we're crazy about chocolate, you know, it's uh, and what we're doing in our life. So for me, it's really all about education and uh, trying to make sure that people 
are aware of, of what chocolate is and um, how best to interact with it. That's exactly the reason that I wanted to talk to you today was because of your experience with education and because, as you said earlier, you've you've been doing it for about 16 years. Yeah, I've been in the chocolate business for 30 years. So the teaching part of it is only been in the last half of my life in chocolate. So when was the first time that you knew how chocolate was made and saw cocoa beans? Well, the first time that I was actually on a farm was probably about 15 years ago. But the first time I saw cocoa beans and the chocolate making process was when I was very, very young. We ended up in a chocolate factory, and I think it was a Hershey's chocolate factory in California, but I could be wrong because that's where I grew up. But I remember seeing the dried cocoa beans and the big tanks where they were conching. Uh, and I remember that from, from my childhood, not young, 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 but maybe tween or something, when I first got into the chocolate business and had opened my chocolate shop. I went and visited with Gary Guitard at the Guitard factory. And I'm going to say that was like the mid 80s, somewhere around in there. And Gary and I, Gary took me through the factory at Guitard. And that was fascinating. That got me really hooked. So, how did you communicate with Gary initially? Was it online or through like calling? There was no online. I would assume what I did was call him or call the factory and see if I could arrange a tour. I was one of their clients, so I assume, you know, back then there was no internet. Okay. I'm unclear as to when the first more widely available email was. One year I heard was, I think, 83 or 84. but. I'm not sure if, like Facebook, that was only available within like maybe certain companies or certain regions of the U.S. or of the world. Yeah, I can't remember when I first started in on email, to be honest. I remember that for the, about the first 10 to 20 years that we were buying equipment, right, be it a desktop or a laptop or whatever, the price stayed the same. But the power of that equipment and the size of that equipment got smaller and smaller, you know, and the power got bigger and bigger. It was really, it was interesting. It was like, I remember somewhere around, I don't know, the 90s that I was like laughing because every like three to five years when I'd go to buy a new desktop or laptop or whatever, I was paying $3,000, but what I was getting for that was like, like times 10 what I'd had before. You know, every day I'm amazed when I see what has happened with technology 
over my lifetime. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I love every minute of it. I think it's all great. I mean, I remember we used to record on VHS tapes on the, the upstairs TV. My parents would ask me to set through, set the, the VHS to record things and I would forget or I would record over something. And we used to watch like old episodes of CSI on the VHS, which we only had upstairs. Now right. it's like Netflix on your iPhone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I remember... I was leaving Hawaii and I realized I did not have a movie for the plane. And I downloaded a movie and uh, was downloading it as we were driving to the airport and got it downloaded uh, probably about a half an hour before I had to board the plane. And um, if you told me tw even 20 years ago, that I'd be doing something like that, I would have like been amazed. I I wouldn't have, I would have been excited to know that I could do that, but I would have been totally amazed. But it wouldn't have surprised you based on where the internet was in like the late nineties. No, I knew that the I I realized the sky was the limit. You know it because things you know were just moving so fast and and people were just getting smarter and smarter about it and you know so i knew that that uh this was that what we were seeing in star trek and all this stuff would would come to be that brings me back around to to the fact that you started Ecole Chocolat through the internet. It's a primarily internet-based business. Was that very purposeful? Or like some people maybe would start selling online these days because they don't have enough money to start a brick and mortar or they want to keep people updated and go to farmer's markets. But you started in, in 2003 online. Could you tell me more yes. about that? Yeah, the, the reason why we did is in, up until that time when I, I decided I could do that, um, I had been answering people's questions by email. And those people didn't, weren't in my community at all. They were from all over the world. And so I realized that if I was going to teach professional chocolate making, and, and professional is the, the key word here, um, I, I didn't set out to have classes on truffle making. That wasn't my goal. My goal was to work with people who wanted to start a business in chocolate, in whatever field of chocolate they wanted to get into, who wanted to start that business. Um, but none of them were from my region or town or anything. They were from all over. So it, so it, um, it started as an online business because I had been been creating online education for about maybe seven years when I came up with this idea. I'd been doing it in the, the field of technology, but not in, in chocolate, obviously. But th that's when I said to myself, you know, I, I could teach 
someone how to open a chocolate business online. And because I had been in the business myself, because I had the knowledge of how people learned online, what the possibilities were online to reach people in their communities who wanted to do this. And I knew how to code because I didn't have to pay someone to code. I knew how to code and I knew how to set it up because I had been instrumental in setting up the uh, uh, online learning platform for the University of British Columbia that I was working with. And all that, all those three things kind of had to come together to make it, to make the idea be a light bulb for me. You know, if I hadn't had those three different things, I may not have had that light bulb. The, the choice was never to be online. The choice was always to be online. The choice then became, well, do we open a brick and mortar as well where students can come and learn with us? Um, and my, I decided that I didn't want to bring students into a uh, not real environment. So I did the harder thing, which was go out and find chocolatiers and opportunities to go into someone's actual working laboratory and work with them there. That was the more, that was the harder and more expensive, uh, choice for that, that end of the business. Um, because of the fact that you have to talk people into doing that and spend a lot of time doing that. Um, but online was always how we were going to open the school and, and have be able to reach the people that needed us. Wow, that's it's a very enlightened approach that it seems like is pretty hallmark for the people who've become uh, sort of, I guess, more well-known faces in their own industries, and in particular in chocolate. Yes, I think so because we're so um, we're so connected now. You know, it's like people in Vancouver in my community don't really know I exist because, and when I say I, I mean our school. Don't really know that our school exists because we don't like advertise here. We really reach all of our students online. Um, we spend a lot of time and energy and money in uh, our SEO efforts and our social media efforts um, to make sure that, that someone who's in Bangkok, for example, and wants to open a chocolate business knows that we exist. I'm not, you know, uh, going after a particular market. Uh, I'm looking, you know, I'm, we're there for people who want to open a business and they could be in any country or any region. So was this the, the appeal and the, the sort of goal that you saw that made you really believe that building your business online would work? Um, yes, it was because that was how I'd been interacting with people before that time. 
you know, in other words, I'd already been getting emails all the time about how do I start a business? Where do I go? What do I do? And the choices at that point were, were so limited. In fact, you know, there, there were only two types of places that pe people could learn chocolate making. Uh, one was to go take a class on how to make truffles, right? Or a class on chocolate tasting, that kind of, you know, all different kinds of things, how to make ganache, how to do that. You could find those at uh, a good pastry school in a, in a major city. The other training that was available, and there were only two places where that was available, and that was um, to approach chocolate making from a technology. And when I say that, I don't mean internet technology, I mean chocolate making technology. Um, the, the kinds of places where you where Hershey's would send their, their technicians to understand how to do their business. So it was a totally different environment and very expensive. Uh, so those were the only choices, and there were only a couple of choices in either one of those categories. Um, so I got, I, I felt bad for the people that I was sending to those places because I knew it wasn't going to help them in learning a business. It would help them in understanding how to work with chocolate, but not in opening a business. So that became my kind of mantra was, you know, I if you're interested in chocolate for a career or a business, I have to not only teach you all this, everything you need to know about the techniques, the most modern ones, how to decorate, how to, you know, make ganache, how to do all that kind of stuff, but also how that fits into a business and what are the things you should be thinking about when you do product and recipe development when it comes to your business. I absolutely agree. I mean, everyone else I've talked to in in various fields has gotten to where they are because they've, they've filled this need. But you jumped a bit from like the late 80s and email to about 2003 when you started the business. Uh, when did you realize that there are different corners of the internet where people outside of Vancouver are looking for answers in chocolate, for example, or for different niches and communities online? Well, there were, way back when we only had email, really, um, there were, were different email lists that, that would come up. And, and I can remember two of three of them that were focused on chocolate. You know, when I looked at uh, getting a domain name, and I'm going to say that was probably around 1995, chocolate was already taken. So were a lot of things around chocolate. And because people who love chocolate really love chocolate, um, there were all sorts of little groups that had formed on email around chocolate. Can't remember any of them now. But it was always something where th that it brought like-minded, passionate people together. Now, in most cases, they weren't necessarily in the business of chocolate. They were more just interested 
in chocolate, and that can include pastry chefs and and people and chocolatiers who were in the business, but a lot of people who are just interested in chocolate. So after starting Ecole Chocolat, were there any big turning points in the development of the business? Maybe like how you marketed or how many students started appearing or any big moments? Well, you know, the biggest moment for me is we opened the business uh, in January of 2003. And a week later, I had my first student who was from the Netherlands. And that was like, I went, oh my gosh, you know, somebody out there has found me. And that was like the first kind of exciting thing that happened. And after that, things just started trickling in. We had our first program and it was like, you know, I always tell people, it's like, you know, having a party, kind of like, you know, planning a rave and seeing if people turn up. And that's what our business is like. You know, we, we hold a, a party every, you know, a class every uh, specific times during the year and just keep our fingers crossed that people still are interested in, in what we're doing. The biggest challenge in our business over the last almost 16 years was Google uh, search moving from searching the internet to regional results. Um, that happened, I think, you know, and time may have gotten away from me, that happened about five years ago where all of a sudden Google felt it was more important, and I totally understand why, to show people results from their region rather than just results from around the internet. And that has a big impact on our business because again, my, my region could not support my business. I need people from all over the world that are interested in a career or business in chocolate to know that we exist. And that has been a huge challenge and it becomes a financial challenge because, you know, we, we pay for AdWords and we pay for Facebook ads and we pay for Instagram ads and so on and so forth. And we've always, um, done that, but now we have to spend more money. So that has been our biggest challenge. So the way in which you've mediated that Google search problem has been through spending more money on ads? That's the only way. There is no other way to do it. Yeah, there is nothing else you can do besides, you know, and we go through and we do all the, the, the things you're supposed to do to make Google happy making sure that that we do get shown in results to people all over the world but we never we never you know can guarantee that that's going to happen we know that if you're in vancouver and you search for chocolate class or chocolate program or learning to make chocolate or whatever it is you will find us we'll be at the top of the list but um 
if you're in Finland, not so much. How much did that first student proving your business model have an impact? Like how, how long did that high last as a business? Oh, well, that's okay. Here's the interesting part. The interesting part is I don't know. Okay, because one of the things that is a huge challenge in education in general, not just our school, but education in general, it's so hard to get our graduates to keep us posted on what they're doing. We try desperately to keep in touch with everybody. We, you know, want to know what they're up to, where they're, what they're doing, what's happening, so on and so forth. But once people get out of school, in quotes, they're like, I'm free. And, you know, and they're out there doing what they're doing. And there's no real, other than the fact they like us, there's no real reason for them to kind of keep in touch. So we try to keep in touch with our graduates through social media now, which we didn't have before as a way to do that. But I never know in a lot of cases what that student ended up doing. And in the case of the Netherlands, she kept in touch with us for really a good year and was out there, you know, because people a lot of times, we have three different types of, of students when it comes to the ones that want to start a business. And we have a, a lot of people who take our classes just to get really smarter in chocolate, which is perfectly fine with us. We love that too. Um, but the ones that are, that are looking at starting a business, we have people who are in the process of doing that, who find us, take a class while they're getting their business up and going. We have people that have a specific time that they're going to start a business. And that could be, I'm going to do it six months from now. I'm going to do it two years from now. I'm going to do it five years. And then we have those that don't know when they're going to start a business. They just know they want to do that. And they're getting ready to look at it more seriously, which is why they're coming to us. But they don't really have a deadline. It might be when I retire or we're moving. You know, and so when I get moved, I'll, I'll start the business. So the bottom line is it's really hard for us to have any statistics or data or anything on what our students have done with the education that we've given them. That's very tough. I mean, did you keep in touch via email before, like maybe an email list? Or how has that evolved over time, especially as social media has well, what we do is uh, we have a very active graduate center uh, that our graduates all go into after they finish the program. And it's people helping each other, uh, asking questions, getting answers. They're still uh, getting value from what they had with us, and they're still keeping in touch. They're just not really in a lot of times willing to share kind of what they're doing. Do you think that's more because they're afraid of people taking their ideas? I mean, why wouldn't they be willing? 
I don't know, but it is a fact <laughs> of life, and it it was a fact of life as well in education in general. When we're talking adult education, you know, nobody nobody follows you from grammar school and in secondary school. You know, nobody really bothers you about that. But it's very it's very tough for university as well. It's endemic to the whole industry. Yeah, it's it's been very interesting to as I get a bit older realize that universities are a business. It's just the weight right. that we put in them as as humans. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of unclear. You're you're a chocolatier in the '80s, I know, but there's this big gap, and you know how to code, and you you tackle problems head on. I'm I'm wondering what what was it that you were doing between like maybe 1980 and 2010? Where did you learn how to code? Like, how did you get here, Pam? <laughs> I know, I know. It's been a uh, convoluted journey, but you know, for everyone, it's always that way. You walk down one path, you're walking down the road, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden a door opens on the right or the left, and you walk through that door, and all of a sudden you're on a different road and a different path, but you're taking with you everything that you learned on that first road. You know, it's not like you lose any of the knowledge and, and what you gained during that that time. And my, my life seems to be in kind of about 10-year segments um, up until now. I was basically, because I had my chocolate business for 10 years, and I sold it because I was looking at what other options I had. I'd been doing that for 10 years, and I felt like my... I needed some new options. So I had an opportunity to sell my business, which I did, and to a friend of a friend. So it was it was great. And I started thinking about, okay, what do I want to do now? And what do I want to do with that money? And at that point, I went with a, a friend to a technology seminar. And during that seminar, it was taking place at this uh teaching facility in in Vancouver that taught internet um, coding and, and programming and all that kind of stuff. And that's where the meeting was being held because it was technology focused. And I love technology. So um, they gave us a tour of the school. And as I'm I'm walking through these these classes, which were basically big rooms full of computers, with young boys sitting in front of the computers, I said to myself, you know, I was 10 years younger. I do this. And I went home and, you know, my friend laughed. And I went home and I thought about it. And about four days later, I said to my husband, how would you feel if I went back to school full time to uh, learn internet programming? And he thought I was a little crazy, but he said, that's what you want to do? Go for it. And that's what I did. So I, me and a bunch of 25-year-old boys went back to school. Um, 
to learn all that technology that was happening at that point in time. And that was 1996-97. And with the thought in my mind that I would take my food and chocolate background and I would um, probably maybe open a web development firm or maybe at the same time do consulting because none of us really knew what to do with the internet. If you were in a business and you had the internet in front of you, you didn't really know what to do with it. You didn't know if you needed a website, what needed to be on that website, so on and so forth. So I, I basically took that knowledge. I didn't open a web development firm because there were too many of those that were opening up in, in Vancouver and I felt the market was saturated. So. I um, started consulting while I was thinking about what else I was going to do. And that kind of led from one thing to another. And I was writing about chocolate on the internet and all that kind of happened. And I got headhunted by the University of British Columbia Continuing Studies because they were looking for someone who actually understood internet marketing and the internet. And from a, a business perspective. So I started working with them on developing internet programs. And it just happened that they were all doing that with an online component, which we developed the online infrastructure, which I call a learning management system to, to do that. And by the time I left there about nine years later, we had a huge amount of programs that we were doing, both that we, we were creating that were both online and face-to-face, -face, but mainly online. Oh. So I ended up getting to that point where all of a sudden I said, I wonder if I could teach professional chocolate banking online. Going back a little bit, can you remember the first time you talked to or communicated with someone using the internet? You know what? I can't. I can't. It it was, you know, long ago and and uh it kind of I think for all of us, and I don't think I'm alone with that, I think it just it just happened. It's like you were so used to at one point writing letters to talk with people that weren't close by. Uh, then it went because using the phone was so expensive. And then it got less expensive to use the phone. And then faxes were developed and that became really cost effective to send someone a fax and, and make that all happen. Um, and so when the internet came, it kind of was just an extension of making things better and faster. I, I can remember in 1991, I did a big conference here in Vancouver and um, it was all done via letters, faxes, and maybe some phone calls, but hardly anybody made long distance phone calls because they were so expensive. And I look back on that and I think, oh my gosh, how did, how did we make that happen? Because you know, you'd have a lead time 
if you ask a question of someone with a fax that could even be a day or two or three and a letter, you know, it was a week uh, by the time they got it and you got it back. So, you know, now we're just into instant, you know, um, if I have someone email me right now and say, I have, want more information on your program, I can get that out to them immediately. And whereas before, so I'm just amazed. And I think you might be hard pressed unless they're young, real young, to really, for people to identify when they first did that, because it just became like all of a sudden, instead of faxing, you were emailing and you went, oh, okay, yeah, you know? Also, I think that the instantaneousness of, of the current communication channels also makes it feel more like in person. But but it's still very different to meet someone in person. Do you do you remember the first time that you contacted someone solely through the internet and then met them in real life? Well, yes, I have to laugh and and today I spent about a half an hour through Skype uh talking to my systems administrator, Vince. I met Vince uh, in 19, I'm going to say it must have been about 1996, only through um, uh, emails, uh, because I was looking for a server. I wanted someone, I wanted to buy a server and have someone manage the server for me. And I had met in person a guy that Vince worked with, but and he recommended Vince, but I'd never met Vince face to face. Uh, and we probably got that whole server up, happening, running, website up, happening, running, all that kind of stuff, and met like maybe six months later. Because I'm, I'm just thinking of in, in my youth, we had, for example, at Girl Scout meetings, there would be lectures on stranger danger on the internet, and like how to use the internet safely. And then maybe 10, 15 years later, here I am, like, messaging people on Instagram. And, like, earlier this year, I went to Vietnam and I met a girl that I've never met in person but had been communicating with online for, like, eight months and had become one of my best friends and still is. And she visited me in Korea um, last weekend. But... Again, we had no connection, completely randomly messaged me, started talking about chocolate, and just happened to be around the same age and going through very similar problems, had very similar interests, but there was no outside connection there. We only met through the internet, and then we met in person, like eight months right. later. Do you, do you remember if that's ever happened? or I mean, I'm sure it has because of your students, but... Do you remember the first time yeah. that might have happened? I don't know if, um, no, it's all mainly been around um, the school, you know. I mean, we talked to a lot of people on um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and so on and so forth. And I'm sure there are probably people that that I've, you know, gotten involved with that I hadn't had a chance to meet that were not like students because I'll I'll run into them at, at some of these events 
There'll be people, oh yeah, so-and-so, and oh, it's all good. Yeah, but but the kind of thing that you're talking about that's more personal, not so much. No, I haven't. Do you think that has anything to do with the time in which you were getting used to and adapting to the internet? Like, are you just maybe more wary of it or just because you're a very busy person? Well, I think, yeah, I don't spend a lot of personal time on the internet. Um, I'm really more kind of focused on the business. It was interesting. Um, I just read an article uh, and Richard Branson was saying that because of the ubiquitousness, I don't know if that's a word, of how ubiquitous uh, the internet is for us in everything that we do. You know, our phones, our phones are like, you know, attached to our bodies and, and we're always online doing something. Uh, he was talking about how he, he, he thinks that you have to have a passion for what you're, because they were talking about what's work going to look like in 20 years. What is work going to actually be? And he feels that it's going to, that he's living what will happen to, to all of us is that our work will become part of what we do every day, but it won't necessarily be something nine to five. You know, it'll, it'll be something that we do during the day, what, something we have to accomplish during the day but it won't necessarily be nine to five, five days a week. Because we'll be, won't be doing a lot of the rote things that uh, machines and AI can do for us. I've absolutely found that to be true. And I think depending on the industry, that, that could happen. I don't think it'll happen for everyone, like maybe plumbers, for example. There'll still right. be rules on other people's time, but 20 years ago, there were barely laptops, so right, absolutely. I know. I know. You you want to say amazing? <laughs> yeah, because it is. Yeah. It's an accurate. It word. is. It is. Well, and you know, using the Star Trek analogy, you know, you can remember them walking down the halls of the spaceship, you know, uh, clicking their little thing on their which I can't remember what that was called, the thing on their their um, clothing that, you know, was, oh, hello, yeah, okay, fine, yeah, we'll do that. And, you know, and pointing things to things and making it happen. And, and it's already happening for us. I don't understand that reference, but I'm sure someone else will. My students and graduates are really precious to me, and I know that sounds that sounds self-serving, or it you know it sounds kind of mushy and whatever. But but um, you know when you meet someone and work with someone who has that passion for whatever it is that we share, you know we share chocolate. It could be something else. If you're uh, into opera, it could be you know we we're sharing this passion for opera. 
it happens in my life to be chocolate. And you meet people who are as passionate as you are and really trying their best to be the best they can in whatever they're doing by uh, learning as much as they can about it, doing their homework about it, you know, nothing to do with our school, but just in general. It's so wonderful that you really feel this connection, you know, you're really sharing something. And I'm sure you found that in other things that that are important in your life. 